Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I am so happy to welcome Monica Ho. She's the Chief Marketing Officer for Soshi. Soshi is a marketing platform for multi-location brands. Um, and uh, wait till you meet Monica. You're going to love her. Monica Ho, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. Excited for the conversation. Yeah, me too. And um, so so uh, uh, tell us, how, how did you get to where you are? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about Soshi and a little bit uh, about how you got to where you are. Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, I'm now a ch uh, the chief marketing officer of Soshi. My career didn't actually start in marketing. I actually started um, in more of an analyst position as I came out of college working for an agency. So I worked a lot with data. Um, that was fun, uh, but I realized I needed something a little bit more engaging. So I uh, went and spent several years in sales um, where I actually sold new internet products to large brands and really loved that. And then I realized that um, I really didn't have a lot of the tools that I needed to be the most effective seller. And so I started thinking a lot about the way that we were marketing and how we could be more valuable to the different prospects we were reaching out to. And so I took a step into marketing at that point, um, launched a digital arm of our marketing unit at the agency and have been in marketing ever since. Um, I've had several marketing roles. Uh, the one before Soshi, I helped uh, grow a pretty large mobile data platform out of New York, um, where we launched globally. Um, that was my first CMO role um, and really loved that, loved the growth, loved the pace, um, loved being in technology. And so when the opportunity at Sushi came up, also in tech, uh, SaaS platform, but um, combined a lot of the different um, really important digital channels that a lot of marketers are having to manage um, into one platform, I was intrigued and here I am. So you, you were originally doing data analytics, and then you went from data analytics to sales? Yes. <laughs> so, so that's a little unusual because, I mean, forgive me uh, for uh, stereotyping data analysts, but uh, it's usually a different profile than, uh, than, than a sales personality. Oh, totally. And I, I think I realized that right away. So I, I actually still love data. I, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with data analytics research, but I'm also a very, um, I, I like to be, you know, in a position where I'm able to talk, whether that's with sellers or clients or others in the industry. So I, I knew I loved the data analytics aspect of that role, but I needed something a little bit uh, more in front, if you will. So um, sales satiated that need. Um, and marketing is actually the perfect blend of both. Uh, in a marketing role, I now get to partner very closely with my sales team. Um, I'm involved in a lot of the deals. And so I love that piece of it. But then on the other end, I'm very involved with data. I head up a lot of our research programs and projects uh, within Soshi today. And so I get to actually straddle both worlds, which I love. 
Yeah, that's cool. I mean, maybe for those who don't understand business analytics, uh, data analytics, maybe you can just, uh, can you just give a thumbnail explanation uh, just so people can understand how different that is from sales. And then, you know, for those who don't really uh, know how to parse the difference between sales and marketing, just so people can understand, because that's a, uh, they're, they're all cousins, but they're, they're, they're different areas of expertise, right? Oh, totally. Um, so from a data analysis standpoint, to give you a sense, a lot of what my role was coming out of college was taking a lot of data from our clients and, you know, whether that was location information, where do they have actual locations, taking that and merging that with different advertising programs. So I was essentially trying to find, you know, what are the best areas based on where they had locations and what are the advertising channels they should be leveraging, right? So I was actually doing media plans using data analysis on the back end. And I loved it. But again, all you're doing is really working with the data. That actual recommendation would then go to a seller or someone else to present. And I wanted to be the presenter. So I loved the data, but I actually wanted to present it as well. Um, and I didn't get that, that, that opportunity, hence why I went into sales. But then as I was in sales, I became the presenter, but I didn't actually get to play with the data. And so now in marketing, I actually get to do both, and which is really what I was looking for, I guess, in the in the in the beginning. Yeah, and if you're and if you're the chief marketing officer, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> to some extent, as long as what I'm doing is actually driving our business, absolutely. Right, and 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 so what what what's the scope of Soshi? How 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 big of a of a business is Soshi? Yeah, so she's, uh, you know, we're still considered a, a startup, but I would say we're a fast growing later stage startup. So we're um, just over 400 employees now. Um, before COVID, we had two really large, um, you know, offices in Austin and in San Diego, but we're now fully virtual, which has actually been a blessing. I've been able to recruit a lot of great talent across the U.S., uh, which has been tremendous, not only because, you know, talent is better when you can, you know, not be restricted by market, but our growth means that I have to grow really fast in a short period of time. So it's it's actually been a, a blessing in disguise for me. Yeah, it's, it's so, uh, I guess, um, necessity is uh, the parent of invention, right? That's right. Um, and and so uh, uh, just for those who who are not familiar with Monica Ho, I mean, if you're not, what's your problem, right? But uh, but 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 you've been ranked one of the most powerful women in mobile advertising year after year, right? Or is it? Uh, are you one of the most powerful? Or are you the most powerful? I I am. I was considered one of the most powerful, and that was a couple years ago when. I had a global CMO role at a mobile data company and uh, was really kind of early in, you know, the, the use of mobile data for audience development, for advertising targeting. Um, and I had developed several research studies um, in partnership with Nielsen and Comscore. In fact, one of our studies later got picked up by Google um, and they later adopted it called Mobile Path to Purchase. Um, so... 
through all of that work, um, I was able to get some of those um, accolades. Uh, what was funny about that was my my son was a lot younger than he is today, and he said, you know, he 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 really thought that that was like, mom, you're that strong. He thought it was a you know somebody was calling me strong um, versus you know talking about what I did for a living. It was, it was pretty funny. Well, I mean, power is strength, and uh, not all strength is uh, you know the kind that. Uh, a little, a little boy might think of this as like, so how much can you bench press, mom? Exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, this is Business Insider calling you one of the most powerful women in mobile advertising, so that's a pretty big deal. And um, and 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 so, how, how when did you get to Soshi? So I started Soshi in 2018 um, when I moved my family from New York to Austin. Um, so I actually stayed with um, my prior company a year into moving to Austin and commuted back and forth between Austin and New York, which was definitely lots of lessons learned doing that, but realized I really needed to be in, in a position that I could be in market in Austin a little bit more frequently. So um, in 2008, I, sorry, 2018, I joined Soshi and was super intrigued by what they were building. So I had spent six plus years in, in mobile data, mobile advertising, mobile targeting, and um, I had a pretty deep background in digital marketing. Where Soshi was going was they were really deep in social media and reputation and reviews, which was an area of digital marketing I wasn't as familiar with. So really intrigued by that, joined. And since then, we've really expanded outside of just social and reviews and we're now doing a lot more of, you know, really managing all of the different digital marketing channels um, specifically for a multi-location business within our platform. So you work for, say, Ace Hardware, right? Well, Ace Hardware is one of our, our partners, one of our, our yeah. great partners. Um, and so anytime, they... anytime fitness, sport clips. So this is these are the sort of what you mean by multi-location, right? That's right. So to say it better, it's any of those brands that you recognize, um, highly recognizable brands, but they are actually servicing out of local units or local locations, right? Anytime fitness. When you go to work out, you're visiting your local Austin Anytime Fitness, or maybe it's Las Vegas or what have you. And each one of those experiences may be different, even though it's under a similar brand. Now with channels like, you know, reputation and reviews and social, maybe the experience is a little bit different in Austin and your consumers can tell people that we, you know, I love Anytime Fitness in Austin. They've got great outside workout classes, et cetera. In Las Vegas, it may be different. People may be talking differently about their experiences with Anytime Fitness. So what our platform allows these big brands to do is, number one, be aware of all of the digital conversations that are happening. Number two, be able to respond to them. And then number three, be able to use those channels effectively to really drive that awareness um, and engagement with their brand. Yeah. And so so uh, what's the response like? I mean, so if somebody, let's say somebody uh, doesn't like something at, you know, I couldn't find the right nail at Ace Hardware or whatever, um, you know, is there, uh, do you also serve as kind of like a front lines intelligence for the brand? We do. So when you, when you say intelligence, you're, you're bringing up a, a common thing that is happening with a lot of brands today. 
somebody's upset with something. Maybe they can't find the right nail, as you mentioned, Bruce, or maybe they don't like that they have to wear a mask when they're coming into your place of business. And what these digital channels are are providing to consumers is a voice, no matter if they're right or wrong, um, but they can put it out there and say they're upset with something or they didn't like it. On the opposite side, they can also tell you what they love about your business. So this is happening now across dozens of channels, right? You think about ratings and reviews, you think about places like Google or Facebook or Instagram. And what we do is we pull all of that data together into one dashboard. So imagine you're Anytime Fitness Corporate and you wanna see all the reviews, all the conversations that are going on around your brand, we aggregate that into one dashboard. And we can separate things. So if you want to just be alerted of reviews that are negative, people had a really bad experience, you can do that and be alerted immediately, get that to somebody that's in charge of responding to them. And then also make sure you're tracking response time or making sure that those responses are getting reviewed before they're posted, things like that. So we have all of those controls and workflows put in place so that the brand can have a little bit more control over what's happening with these conversations and engagements. Yeah, I mean that's that sounds like uh, uh, super powerful. So, so uh, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, the primary uh, client for you um, is somebody who's in uh, in 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 the headquarters, right? And they're able this way to uh, keep track of of. Uh, everything out in the real world? I think it's actually both. So to your point, Bruce, I think the corporate marketer wants to see and make sure they have some control over what's happening with their brand, even though they can't control what consumers are saying or what conversations are happening about them in digital. But now they can at least see it and they can respond, hopefully appropriately to those things. So that's great. Now that's all possible. You've got technologies like Sochi that can aggregate all of that, build the workflow. What it also allows them to do is if that corporate marketer um, or corporate marketing wants to respond, take action against all of these things, they can do that. That's a centralized management system. Or in our system, you can decentralize that, meaning Ace Hardware can make the decision that they want their actual locations to be engaged in these conversations answer the questions that are coming in, answer the the reviews. Um, And all corporate is going to be doing, Ace Corporate, is being able to see it, make sure that we're responding in an appropriate time in an appropriate manner. Um, But you can actually make these tools available now to local locations. What's great about that is a lot of times when you include the local locations, they, they know their business better than corporate, right? Their local market, their local community. So those responses and engagements are a lot more authentic. And I think a lot of those businesses appreciate the ability to have um, some access to that. Um, But what you have to balance there is a lot of these business managers, um, owners, they're not marketing experts. So these new technologies are really the easy button for them. What do I need to respond to? How do I respond? And make that really efficient and quick for them. So it sounds like this is not just a marketing tool. It's not just uh, an intelligence, a business intelligence gathering tool. 
Um, it's not just a monitoring tool for folks from headquarters, but it's also uh, probably a great management tool for uh, interactions between uh, marketing leaders in headquarters and uh, local leaders who are running locations. And it allows them to uh, provide guidance and direction, but it also sounds like it's a job aid for anyone who wants to be able, even if they're not a, a marketing expert, uh, it sounds like you're spoon feeding them what they need to act as if they were a marketing expert. That's right. I think any tool in today's age has to be intelligent. And I think what makes a lot of these systems, you know, what, what differentiate, differentiates them from being good to great is that intelligence component. So again, using that example of that location, they're not a marketing expert, but when they log in, having the platform actually tell them what they should be doing. You have two negative reviews. So you go to the reviews, you can read what they say, and then our platform will actually give you auto-generated responses that you could use to respond back, that you could personalize. So it's basically, you know, like you said, spoon feeding what they should do next, how they should do it effectively, and really get that done efficiently so that they can get back to their, you know, full-time job of running their business. Um, but yes, that is what ultimately our platform does. And um, uh, and obviously you're you're growing. Uh, and um, uh, when did when was the company founded? Uh, the company was founded in 2015. 2015, and you showed up in uh, 2018, and That's then uh, and you've and 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 so um, is this also a good tool for monitoring and um, managing uh, the organization's an organization's reputation as an employer? Not on that side. So if you're talking about employees, um, how employees yeah. feel about the particular uh, business. Not, not, not entirely. I mean, if it, if they're going out to social channels, employees are, um, the brands will be able to see that, but we're, we're really not built for that. I think what we are most built for is consumer engagements, as well as making sure whether it's the corporate entity or the actual locations that, you know, belong to that entity can be involved in digital marketing. So it's really about the customer experience. That's right. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so, so uh, how many? Like, how big is your team? You said there's 400 plus employees. I'm guessing and growing. Uh, you said that you have become uh, almost entirely virtual organization, which uh, I think is uh, uh, the wave of the future. And as you pointed out, it it, it opens up so many possibilities when it comes to. Uh, attracting and retaining talent, uh, but what you your how about yourself as a leader? How, how have you grown into? Uh, how, how long have you been in a leadership role? It sounds like in your last position, uh, you were global CMO at Ground Truth, which which was XAD, I guess. Um, yeah, but, and, yeah, and so 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 you're not new to leadership, right? No, I think I've been in a CMO role now for about eight plus years. Um, and prior to that, I held several vice president roles. Um, so I'm not new to leadership. I think leadership in the new age of virtual workplaces is very different um, and, and comes with its own challenges. So, um, but definitely not, not new to the leadership space. 
Yeah, so what are you, I mean, so you're right there on the front lines, as it were, uh, which is now uh, not proximity uh, defined. Um, and, and so you're, and you're leading, helping lead an organization through this kind of transformation into this new environment. Uh, what, what do you see as, what are the differences in, in leading and managing in this virtual environment? I think you have to. So I think when we were in a physical workplace, I think relationships um, developed pretty naturally in the workplace where now in a virtual environment, you actually have to be really thoughtful about how these relationships are going to be um, built and how are they going to be more than just, I got to get this project done or I need information from you. Because in a virtual environment, that's what work becomes, a, a bunch of meetings and a bunch of short conversations with people you've never met in person. And that can start to feel very cold. It can make you feel very disconnected from the brand and the company that you're working for. And that's a really scary place to be in, especially in a very competitive marketplace that we're in right now where it seems like everybody's hiring. So one of the big things that we had to change pretty quickly when we went virtual was really putting that employee experience front and center um, and making sure that we're building those connections and relationships um, despite being in a virtual world. Um, so to give you an example, um, we have three touch points with our teams um, that we make sure happen every single month. Um, one is weekly coffee chats. They're basically 30 minute touch points with our entire team. We all come on zoom. We get on, you know, we turn the video on and we just catch up, chat about what's going on. One of my employees just let us know that he just finished an Ironman. So we talk about those things, right? And it's just a quick catch up fun. We play games once in a while. We also do biweekly lifelines. What those are is we, we basically give one employee, one of our team members, the floor for 10 minutes to talk about the highs and lows of their life that made them who they are. So they can freely share what they want about their life, what made them who they are. And it gives us a peek into somebody outside of the typical Zoom you know, um, meeting that we're now all in. And then finally, we do monthly lunch and learn. So every month, we all decide on a topic we want to hear about, whether that's bringing in an external speaker to talk about something going on in the industry or maybe something new in marketing. Um, or we ask somebody that's an expert on the team to do a session. Like we just did a session on time management because now, again, being virtual, every single minute of our time is eaten up by meetings. How do we get less meetings? Um, and so we spent a good hour talking about time management. Um, so, so those three touch points, that's great. And I'm going to borrow one of them and ask you for your lifelines. What are the highs and lows that have made you who you are? Um, but is that, but, but, but let me just uh, draw a bright line under that and, 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 um, and, and make sure I understand. Is that just for your team or is, are all the teams at Sochi doing that? So these are, um, some of these are used by other teams, um, but all three of these are really for marketing. It's the way that we found that we were able to connect with each other and stay, you know, build these relationships. I know our product and engineering organization, they do monthly lunch and learns also, but they do something a little bit different. They do a book club. So they choose a book and then they meet regularly to talk through that, learn something new. So they're doing things a little bit different by team 
to build those bonds and those interactions. Um, so I think for, for leaders, you really have to, number one, get to know your team. What makes them tick? Are there, do they want things that allow them to be very vocal and, and get that, you know, kind of social interaction in? Or do they, do they want, want to be a little bit more behind the camera and share what they're reading? I mean, you've got to really tailor that to your team. Yeah, and so, uh, but but what I what I'm interested or intrigued by is um, that each of these elements, it seems like a purposeful uh, connecting that is not uh, directly related to day to day task responsibilities, interdependency, uh, and other kinds of forms of, of business planning. Uh, mm-hmm. These are just for giving people a feeling of belonging and togetherness. That's right. And it's yeah. so critical to have. I mean, if you think about how much time we spend working in the workplace, it, it's so important that you have connectivity to what you're doing and to the team that you're working with, at least for us in marketing at Soshi. Um, it, it helps us understand, you know, uh, and, and be patient with each other. It helps us, you know, enjoy the time that we're spending together and, and making it more just about getting work done and about really enjoying the work that we're doing. And again, I think that's really important to keep um, and retain those really important assets that we have, which are our employees, our teams. Yeah. So, so um, it's interesting to me because, so what's your point of view about these organizations that are saying, okay, well, we're going to have people start coming back to the office. And then, you know, some of them are like, well, we're going to have people come back, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, or, you know, come back any day you want, or it's got to be two days, but whatever two days you want. Uh, To me, I think these are all um, underdeveloped strategies uh, that are, that are driven by a sort of some kind of discomfort that people are not working together, but I'm not sure that any of these, they, they don't seem like they're getting it right to me. What, what, what's your perspective about that? Yeah, I guess I would challenge those organizations to really think about what they're solving for. Are they solving for discomfort? You know, that leader really wanting to see people, have them in office, are they solving for, you know, unproductivity or, you know, lack of productivity? Um, and I think if they really think about what they're solving for, they can probably find more modern solutions to some of those things. So for instance, the, the lack of productivity issue may be the, the fact that they haven't found a way to connect to employees in a virtual environment. Um, and so their solve is to force everybody back to where we were two years ago. And I think that, that's, that, that you can do that, certainly. Like you said, you're the boss. You can do whatever you want. But I would caution those leaders. I mean, that's not a modern workplace. And in an environment where you are competing for talent, I would really urge those leaders to reconsider. I think when I look at the different talent, number one, like we had talked about, the ability to grab great talent because you are unobstructed by um, you know, location, by proximity is amazing. But then number two, you know, I think your, your existing employees are going to look elsewhere. If they right. can find a job that gives them the flexibility and allows them to work in a more modern environment with technology, and that's something you're not considering or okay with, then you're, you're going to have to be okay with losing that talent. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I think is that if you're not careful, you know, you tell everybody to come back to work and then they'll just be, you know, looking for another job. Yeah. I think on the other end of that spectrum too, Bruce, is, you know, there are employees that want to go back to some sort of in-person environment. And, and sometimes it's not because of, you know, being social. It could be because their, their workplace in the home isn't ideal, right? Maybe there's a lot of kids, maybe, right. you know, they don't have a lot of space. So on the other end, you know, we've got to think about, you know, just providing flexibility on both spectrums. You know, if you want to work virtually, great. If you need to go to a place that is quiet and so you can focus, what are those options? And, you know, we just, um, our, our, HR department just opened up, um, you know, uh, a membership to all of our employees to places like WeWork or Regis. So if I need a space for an hour, maybe a half day a day, um, or maybe I want to come into an office one, two, three days a week, but that's me to decide, I have the flexibility to do that in my local market. Yeah. And what it's really about in that case is needing a workspace um, and so uh, the workspace, again, uh, using your language, what are you solving for? Some people need a workspace. If what people want is to go to the same place during certain hours where their colleagues are going to be, um, gee, you know, I think uh, Ace Hardware will still do that. Anytime Fitness will still do that. There are, you know, lots of organizations because of the nature of the work. Uh, you know, if you're emptying bedpans in a nursing home, yeah, you're going to have to be there because that's where the bedpan is. Um, but, but, but I think that people who really want to be in the same place at the same time with their colleagues, that's what's going on for them. Uh, they're, they're going to have to find certain kinds of employers because I think the whole nature of commercial real estate is, is in flux. And I just don't see a lot of CEOs, um, who have, uh, remote workforces. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see CEOs making a decision to, uh, invest in a big real estate footprint going forward. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We we actually kept our offices open um, for over a year once you know the pandemic hit, and even as people started returning back, we 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 told our employees you can be fully virtual if you want to go into the office. We're going to make it available. And just six months ago, we we closed down our Austin office because in in one year, maybe one or two people came into the office and it wasn't on a regular cadence. People just didn't see the need to do it. And when they did, let's say that they wanted to get in in a small group and do a planning session or get together and just work together, they did it in another location, a Starbucks, you know, a library, et cetera. So again, it's just so different now. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. So I, I, I take your point about the purposeful, uh, social interactions and quasi business dialogues, getting to know people. What, what's your point of view about um, interdependency, cross-functional team, you know, meetings where, where actually what we're getting together to discuss is uh, our collaboration or for that matter, one-on-one uh, meetings with uh, lateral colleagues or uh, up and down the chain of command uh, do you have any lessons learned on on those best practices for remote uh, management? Yeah, I think it's 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 kind of similar. So on our leadership team, we started to do a weekly leadership alignment call. 
So we, we get on Zoom. We, we have it every Friday and we just use it. It's an open agenda. We bring our topics. Um, and it's important, again, for that FaceTime that we get with our leaders. We're all in different markets. Um, and it, it just gives us a chance to reconnect. Um, so we do that every week. Um, we also uh, do a quarterly planning session. Uh, we've tried to do some of those virtual and some of them in person um, to keep that relationship and connectivity going. Um, but again, whether it's our leadership team, my marketing team, cross-department uh, collaboration, it's got to be very thoughtful. And it can't be something that is left as an afterthought. Um, we, we really think about how to keep those relationships and, and, and co connectivity going um, across departments and interdepartmental. Yeah, so how, like as a leader, how do you provide guidance, direction, and support for your direct reports? So I, I still do the traditional one-on-ones with every single one of my leaders that report into me. I also, and I, you know, I think the technology now with Zoom, you know, chat, Slack, all of those things have made that very efficient. Um, so I continue to do, you know, one-on-ones every week. We also have a, um, a weekly all management meeting with my team, very similar to my leadership alignment. Um, that those alignment meetings are pretty important. Um, and that's, that, that's really it. It's those two things. And then with Slack, with, you know, being a, being accessible, um, to the teams, you know, it, it makes it work. One, one big lesson learned, um, is, you know, when we all went virtual, we're all working from home, we're all in different markets was time zones and being respectable of, of people's work times. So what we've been really training our teams on is how to utilize features in Slack or email, where if you're working late at night because you choose to, um, and you want to send a Slack message to the team, if it's late in the evening, you know, in, in some of the coasts, why don't you schedule that to hit in the morning at 9 a.m., you know, central time, so you're not disturbing people when they're, they might be enjoying dinner or, or something else. So we've really had to, you know, train ourselves on some of these new techniques um, so that we can respect and give each other, you know, that, that work-life balance. Um, and again, it's just being thoughtful about it, changing the way we've done things in the past. Um, and, and I think as long as we're open to that and we're flexible, I think we can make that all work. Yeah, I think that's great stuff. And uh, so, so okay, let's 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 do a quick lifeline here. What what are the highs and lows that have have brought you to where you are? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> so I guess quickly, you know, I I I came from you know a a, a, a young single mom, you know. So she what what she instilled in me was hard work. And, you know, I, I think that has resonated with me. I feel deeply inside that a successful life must be earned and re-earned. So I have that work ethic. Um, I, have to be, I have to be conscious of it because sometimes I apply that same uh, view on other people and I have to kind of take a step back to that. So, you know, I came from that hardworking, you know, environment. And so uh, I, I actually worked all through my, my junior, senior year of high school. I was working full time, managing a retail, um, you know, location, and then went to college, graduated in three years and immediately got into the workforce. And ever since then, I've, I've just been, 
pretty driven, self-motivated, again, because I do believe success needs to be earned and re-earned. Um, and I've had lots of, you know, ups and downs in my career. Um, I, I didn't follow the traditional path of, you know, coming out of college and being in data and then following that path, I kind of jumped around. I, I had more of a jungle gym kind of career versus the latter. Um, and I think that that's important. Um, you know, I learned a lot about myself and about what I really love to do, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we need to sometimes take a lateral move or take a step back in our career to really see what drives you and, and what's going to really self-motivate you to, to keep moving and learning and growing in your career. Um, so I, I think that's just a little, you know, a little bit about my lifeline. Yeah. And so, okay. So as a parting uh, gift to our listeners, what's your number one piece of career advice? So number one piece of career advice, I would say, um, is definitely one that I've learned later in life, which was about um, building not so much the, the traditional mentor-mentee relationship, but building a community of, of people that you are inspired by and can learn from. So I, I actually have a community, I have different communities that I belong to. Some are CMO communities, some are marketing communities. But what I love about these communities is it's not, you know, even though I'm a CMO and to some people in marketing, it's kind of like the pinnacle, you're a CMO, but I'm still learning as a CMO. I don't know everything. So I use those communities to, to learn from peers as well as those younger than me. So I, I really urge people that are in their career today um, to continue to learn, you know, go out, get your mentors, build these communities, but also be open to reverse mentorship, um, learn from the younger generation. Um, I think it's really important, especially in marketing that we, or we, we kind of push ourselves out of our own comfort zones, learn new things, learn what motivates some of these newer employees. Um, and I think that that's going to make the difference with, again, attracting new talent, keeping talent, growing your business, et cetera. Monica Ho, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable. Next week on The Indispensables, Bruce is joined by Art Harding, COO of People.ai.